Today I'm talking about a very special end times warning from Jesus. I'm also talking about Israel's attack on Iran's nuclear facility, huge issue in the news right now. And I'll be answering questions about the coming of Elijah, the monster energy drinks, and if their logo really means 666, and also how to teach your children about the end times. I'm Jimmy Evans. Welcome to The Tipping Point Show. Welcome to The Tipping Point Show. I have a very special teaching today on a very special warning from Jesus about the end times that every person needs to understand. Very important warning. Before I get into that, let me talk about we have a vision retreat workshop coming up on our YouTube channel from 1130 to 1230 today, Central Standard Time. That's April 14th. And this is going to be on our YouTube page, youtube.com forward slash XO Marriage. You can watch it live. I'm talking about our uh, Vision Retreat Guidebook that just came out. Walking that through with you as a married couple to help you understand how you can have a Vision Retreat that will change your marriage. If you don't catch it live, it'll still be on there later so you can view it on our YouTube page. So we hope that you'll be able to be a part of that. Uh, I'm going to talk about in this teaching a warning from Jesus concerning the end times. So this comes from Matthew 8, 38. And here's what Jesus said concerning his coming. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Now we've had many people defecting from Christianity. Uh, last week, another well-known uh, leader in the Christian faith renounced Christ. Okay, there have been many. It's like a domino effect. And this is, by the way, 2 Thessalonians 2. This is a sign of the end times, a, a great apostasy. We see people falling away from the faith. We see entire denominations now rewriting the Bible. And what the Bible says is wrong morally. Now they're saying, well, it's not so wrong. You know, you can live your own life, be your own person. Love is love. Family's family. Do whatever you want to do. It's okay. But that's not what the Bible says. And Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, and my words, the word of God, in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, Jesus will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. That's both the second coming, that's also the rapture. When Jesus comes, he's going to be looking for people who are ashamed. And ashamed means you forsook him. See, the world is trying to make us feel ashamed of our beliefs. As Christians, if, in other words, you're a Neanderthal. If you still believe in traditional marriage, if you still believe in traditional sexuality within the confines of marriage, if you still believe in the traditional definitions of sin, then you're a Neanderthal, you're a hater, you're, you know, you're no good, you're, you should be outcast, you should be ostracized, whatever. And so the point is, what do you do? In the midst of the shame that the world is trying to put on us, do we receive their shame? Or do we stand up for Christ? And Jesus says, if you're ashamed, if you back off, and if you forsake me for the sake of making people happy, and the pressure that people put on you, he says, I'm going to be ashamed of you when I come in the second coming. This, this is a big deal. And so uh, I want to talk about moral courage. I want to talk about how to stand in the very sexually severe world, in a very immoral and sinful world. How do we stand up for Jesus? And how do we stand up for traditional morality 
in the midst of that. It's an absolutely essential thing to understand that you may be surprised by how I answer this question because I'm going to talk about three different ways that we stand morally in this day. And the first is we stand compassionately. Okay, so Jesus is the one, remember, he's the one who just got finished saying, I want you to stand for me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. If there's ever been an adulterous and sinful generation, we're in the midst of it right now. And so, okay, how do you stand for Jesus? How do you not be ashamed for Jesus? Well, you begin by doing it compassionately. Let me tell you a story here. This is a true story in the Bible. John chapter 8. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him, Jesus, a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her, set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is, is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it began being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And he said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Okay, so now Jesus is talking about standing for truth in an immoral and adulterous generation. And now he is caught, he's dealing here with a woman caught in bed with a man. When it says he was, she was caught in the very act, it means she pulled, they pulled her out of bed with a man. Well, the question is, where's the man? <laughs> kind of a good question. Weren't there two people committing adultery? Weren't they both, according to the law, supposed to be stoned? But where's the man? They only have the woman here. In other words, this was a hypocritical group of people that were male-dominated, and that was the truth of this society. They, they mistreated women. They treated women like property. In other words, my sin's okay, but your sin's not okay. So this is hypocritical, to say the least. The second is, where's the compassion? Okay, Jesus, when he gets down and begins writing in the dirt, what most theologians believe is he was writing their sins. The people that were accusing this woman, he was writing in the dirt the list of all of their sins. In fact, I believe he could be writing names like, you know, you and Donna and pointing an arrow over this guy over here and you and this person over here. He's actually writing their sins in the ground he's, like he's not hearing. It says he was writing in the ground like he wasn't listening to him. Then he got up and they all began to be convicted as they were reading what he wrote in the ground. And one by one, they began to peel away. And then Jesus said, woman, where are your accusers? And she said, well, they're all gone. He said, well, I'm not accusing you. Listen, go and sin no more. He still called it sin, but he did it compassionately. And let me tell you, the biggest turnoff on earth is a bunch of self-righteous Christians. The whole world has fallen sexually, including every single one of us. It's not all those sinners outside the church or outside Christianity that are fallen. Every single one of us are fallen. We can't act shocked over someone else's sin. We can live above it. We can compassionately reach out to them. And you'll never reach a person who is in sin unless you do it compassionately. What I believe in the ministry that, you know, that I've had for the last 40 years is a mean preacher is not going to reach a hurting world. People cannot take people being mean to them. Even if they're in sin, we know when we're in sin. And when you're in sin, you need somebody to love you and help you and try to understand you. Now, what we can't do 
is change the, the vocabulary on their behavior and say, well, it's not sin. Well, let me go back to my own life. I was very immoral. I grew up in a home that was not a Christian home. Everything I learned about sex was from immorality. My neighbor down the street from me was a 14-year-old boy whose dad went to prison. And when his dad went to prison, his mother gave the 14-year-old boy his dad's Playboy subscription. Well, that was sex education for our entire neighborhood. I lived to be immoral until I was 19 years old. A week before Karen and I got married is when I got saved. I was immoral the whole time. I lived to be immoral. I never had a bad conscience about anything. And so until the day that I got saved, and there was a group of people praying for me, and it was a group of Karen's mother's friends in a Bible study actually praying that Karen and I wouldn't get married because I was such a bad guy. But I began to be convicted. But let me tell you, I did not come to Jesus because of Karen. I came to Jesus because sin lied to me. I remember sin extremely well. And I didn't get, and, and when I got saved, I was not a perfect man after that, but my morals changed and my, my standards changed. But the reason I got saved is because I did everything that sin ever told me to do to be happy, but I wasn't happy. I remember after long nights of partying, drinking, sexual immorality and all of that, laying in bed, feeling empty. And I just thought, I just did every single thing I thought would make me happy. Why am I not happy? Because sin kills. It doesn't satisfy. Jesus satisfies. Every single one of us can identify with sin. And so when we see a person who is living in what we would consider a sinful lifestyle, the, but by the grace of God, there we are. You know, I have friends of mine that, that are now believers and some that are pastors. I've heard the most horrific stories of the pain that people have gone through. One of my friends who actually has a ministry to help people who have unwanted same-sex attraction, he was molested by his grandfather from the time he was five till the time he was 18 years old. He didn't know that there was anything wrong with it. He didn't know that, that wasn't natural until he finally found out that you shouldn't be molested by your grandfather. And so he dealt with deep sexual issues in his life because of that. So the point being, you don't know a person's story. People, we live in a broken world with broken families and that breaks people's sexuality and we need to be compassionate. The second thing is we need to be courteous. This is 1 Peter 3. And he who is, uh, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed and do not be afraid of their threats nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good rather than doing evil. It says here, always be ready to give a defense. But the word defense there is the Greek word apologia. It means to give an answer in defense of yourself. It says with meekness and fear, not with a shame, Meekness means power under control. Meekness doesn't mean weakness. Meekness means I have power as a Christian. I have moral power because of Christ, but I'm not going to unleash on you. I saw a, a group of Christians from a church standing on a street corner with signs calling everybody that came went by a whoremonger and warning them they were about to go to hell. Well, that's really effective. I've never known one single person who got saved by being called names or being angry. See, if you get angry when someone asks you why you're a Christian or why you believe the way you do, it just shows the weakness of your position. See, it says to be ready to give an answer, apologia. Here's what it means. 
I'm going to witness to you. If, if you ask me about my faith, you know, and even if you're persecuting me about my faith, I'm going to give you an answer. What I'm going to do is witness. See, witnessing is not what you do. It's just who you are. See, witnessing is not about you. It's about me. And you say, Jimmy, why do you believe the way you believe? Well, let me tell you why I believe what I believe. And I'd be very polite about it. Okay, I'd be very courteous to you. I'm not going to lash at you. Because I used to live a life of sin. I mean, I'm not lashing out at you if you're a sinner. I'm just saying I, I live that way. And let me just tell you what I experienced. What I experienced was it never satisfied me. I was empty. I was unhappy. But on the morning that I invited Jesus Christ into my life, he changed my life. The void that I was trying to fill through sin and immorality and drinking and partying was instantly filled 48 years ago, almost to this day. 48 years ago when I invited Jesus into my life and he has filled that void for the last 48 years and I'm not perfect. I'm not a perfect man. There's still a part of me that has fallen, but what I have found is Jesus gives me the inner fulfillment and strength to live my life the way that I should, imperfectly, but sincerely. And so I'm just telling you, that's my personal witness. That, that's who I am. I'm not attacking you, and I'm being courteous. The, the, the more you know about Jesus, the stronger your position becomes, and the only way that you're ever going to reach another person for Jesus is respecting that person. See, when I was an unbeliever, there, there was a lot of self-righteous Christians that I was around. I hated them. I, I couldn't. In fact, one of the biggest barriers that I had to becoming a Christian was I hated Christians. They were the most self-righteous, smug group of people. And let me tell you, I was a bad guy. And so I was a, I was a sinner, and I was a good sinner. And I remember all these self-righteous Christians, except for one, and it was a girl named Betsy. She was the sweetest person. She was the most godly person in our entire school, and she loved me. And she shouldn't have loved me. I mean, love her. I mean, just kindness, her sweetness and kindness. I remember how sweet and kind she was to me in spite of all the bad things that I had done. And I remember thinking, if there's a Jesus, Jesus is inside Betsy. It was her sweetness and her kindness and her witness to me that convicted me, not the self-righteousness and meanness of all the other people. So we have got to be compassionate. We have to be courteous. The thir third thing is we have to be courageous. And that is when it says here, uh, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you're blessed and do not be afraid of their threats nor be troubled. Can I just tell you something? You're going to suffer. You're, you're not going to get out of this life without suffering. But, but the question is this, are you going to suffer for Jesus? Or are you going to suffer for sin? I'm just telling you, I've been a pastor for 40 years. I cannot tell you the horrific pain that I've seen from people who live in sin. Good people, righteous people who live for Jesus, do they go through bad stuff? Yeah, nothing compared. Nothing compared to people who are living in sin. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, not was or will be, it is death. And I have seen people who fell away from Jesus, who left their spouse or went off into some immoral lifestyle. It is a trail of tears. It is a trail of pain. Now, Jesus, you may be in that lifestyle right now. And I'm just saying, Jesus loves you. He'll forgive you. And you can stop that life of pain. You're going to suffer. But the question is, are you going to suffer for Jesus? Or are you going to suffer for sin? Are you going to suffer temporarily? Or are you going to suffer eternally? Remember, Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me now, 
in this adulterous and evil generation. I'll be ashamed of you when I come. I don't want Jesus to be ashamed of me. I want to be morally courageous. I want to be compassionate because I can identify with any sinner. I want to be courteous because it's the only way that we're going to reach another person is sharing politely our witness for Jesus. But I want to be courageous and that is sin is sin. I'm not going to redefine the Bible because another person may not like me. I've got to stand up. Let me read this scripture to you and I'll close. This is Mark 8. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Jesus said, you want to follow after me? You're going to have to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. This self-love, this, self this narcissistic culture that we live in, it's sickening. And it's one of the reasons for the immorality that we see today. It's all about me. It's all about me getting mine. It's not about Jesus. It's not about my influence on my children. It's not about my influence on others. It's just all about me and what I can get in this life. And Jesus said, if you want to save your life, you're going to lose your life. But if you lose your life for my sake and the sake of the Gospels, you're going to find eternal life. And that's when he says, if you're ashamed of me now, in this adulterous and sinful generation, I'm going to be ashamed of you. My prayer for all of us is we would be morally courageous. I'm saying we're standing in the midst of, as believers, if you're a believer, if you're not a believer, I pray that you'll accept Christ. It's all you have to do. He'll forgive you. He'll come into your heart. He'll forgive you of your sins. But if you're a believer, you're being pressured on all fronts to cave. Do not cave. Be morally courageous. Be compassionate. Be courteous. But stand your ground because Jesus is coming. And if you will stand for him, then he will not be ashamed of you when he comes with his Father's angels in his glory. So I want you to consider that and to stand strong. If you're a subscriber, I'm going to be back talking about Israel's attack on the Iran nuclear reactor, which is a huge issue in the news right now. Also answering some questions. If you're not a subscriber, you can become a subscriber in times.com. You can become a subscriber to the Tipping Point uh, Prophecy Update and also the Tipping Point Show here for $7 a month, $77 a year. We would love to have you a subscriber. Stay tuned for the next segment.